Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. That's great. All right. Title of my message this morning is simply this. Who do you think you are? Turn to the person next to you and say, who do you think you are? Turn to the person on the other side now and say, who do you think you are? Love the sound of people enjoying themselves. Who here has ever had that said to them prior to this morning? Who here has ever had that said to them with just a little bit of attitude attached to it? Who ever ever had that said to them with a finger waving in their face at the same time as hearing, who do you think you are? I've heard that so many times throughout my uh, life. It's it's uncountable. It's just, it's just, I can't comprehend it. It's just, I've had it lots in my life. But you know what? If you've ever had that said to you and of you, you're in good company. Because they even said that to Jesus. Jesus had a way of getting under the skin of the religious people of His day. And He would speak many truths and uh, those truths were often misunderstood and uh, accusation would come His way often. There was one occasion that uh, the religious people were talking about Abraham and, and Jesus had the audacity to stand before these men and say, hey, this Abraham that you teach of, before he was, I am. And they were freaking out. They're looking at this guy, he's about 30, 33 years of age. What do you mean before Abraham was, you are? And this is their response. And it's found in John chapter eight. They said, are you greater than our father, Abraham? They said it just like that. I can see it. There's the formation. Just, yeah, that's it, Kel. He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? They even said it of Jesus. Who do you think you are? You know what? It's really, 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 really important that we know who we are. Because when we know who we are, we will have a confidence. We will have a conviction. And we will know how to behave and we will know what to do. On our staff presently, uh, we have a great bunch of men and women. And uh, collectively, it equals a whole lot of kids. And amongst those kids, there's a lot of young kids. And so invariably in our offices, there'll be kids running around and coming in for pickups and drop-offs and all the rest of it. But every so often, one of these blessed little souls will end up in my office. And it, it never, I feel like daddy daycare sometimes, I've got to be honest. And, and so 
it never ceases to amaze me the different responses of these precious little souls. Some wander in there and, and the moment they find out they're in the pastor's office, they just get bright-eyed and freeze. <laughs> of which I just love to torment those kids at that moment. But anyway... And then there are others who recognise they're in the pastor's office and they just turn on a dime and bolt. As if I never even saw them. And then there are some brave souls that recognise they're in the pastor's office and they, they try to brave it out. And they put on the brave front like, I'm meant to be here. But with every step and with every swagger, they get less and less conviction until they run out. And it's become a little game to me. It's become something that I do. I, I, I prepare messages, I, I counsel people, and I just wait for the kids to come in. Just... But their responses are so different. When they work out, they're in the pastor's office. My children, however, when they walk into my office, there is no lack of assurance whatsoever. There is no confusion, there is no doubt, there is no fear, there is no insecurity. They'll just walk in, they'll sit down, they'll take a mint or ten, they'll help themselves to the fridge and they will make what is mine theirs. Where does that confidence come from? It comes from knowing who they are. They know like they know, like they know who they are. They are the pastor's kids. They are the pastor's sons and the pastor's daughters. And they know that that gives them certain privileges and certain rights and they don't have to be afraid, nor do they have to be backward in coming forward. They just come and take what is mine because what is mine is theirs by birthright. It's really important who you think you are. When you don't know who you are, you won't know how to behave. When we forget who we are, we forget how to behave. We forget how to act. We forget how to speak. Enter another little story for you. Never forget one time when mum was away, kids were upstairs and they were kicking a ball playing ball in the house. Um, we don't do ball in the house. But mum was away and I went upstairs and, and saw what they were doing. And they looked at me as if they'd done something like that. And I, I just saw they having such fun and I thought, give me a go. And so I'm, I'm just kicking the ball and we're just playing a little bit of whatever they were playing. They kind of made up this game. Kids do that, make up these weird games. And uh, I was having fun. And because of my soccer background, I got right into it. <laughs> and I'll never forget putting my left foot. It's a perfect little chip, but I got a bit too much air on it. And I smashed a light bulb. You may have grown up with this saying, it's all fun and games until someone loses an eye. Well, I learned that day, it's all fun and games until you smash a light globe. And there's one thing worse than your kids smashing a light globe, it's when I smash a light globe. 
And I never forget bending down, picking up the pieces as quick as I could, thinking, I hope Kath doesn't come home soon. <laughs> oh, mighty man of God that I am. And I got to thinking, at that moment, I got myself into this mess. Why? Because I forgot who I was. At that moment, I forgot I was the dad that should be setting the rules and setting the tone. Instead, I just became another son to my wife. I just forgot who I was for a minute. And when you forget who you are, you forget how to behave. When you forget who you are, you forget how to speak. When you forget who you are, you forget how to act. It's really important that you and I understand who we are. Who do you think you are is really important. And what I love about the Word of God is it leaves nothing to the imagination. It tells us exactly who we are. And in this church, we don't have a rule that you must read your Bible every day. That we're never going to impose that on anybody. But I believe with all my heart, when we commit a portion of our day to reading the Scriptures, it refreshes us in who we really are. And it silences all the external voices. Because every day there is someone who wants to tell you who you are and more often not who the people think you are. It's not who you really are. But the Word of God tells us who we are and it doesn't change. I've noticed with some people say, oh, you're awesome. One day. And the next, you're horrible. Want to be my friend? I hate you. You're my friend, you're my enemy. Seriously, if you, if you had to listen to all the external voices, you would go insane. It's the Word of God that doesn't change. And so it's important that we get the Word of God into us, that the Word of God affects how we think, because who we think we are really matters. Jesus was able to hold his line because he knew the Word of God. And as a result of knowing the Word of God, he knew who he was. And so when he was accused of, who do you think you are? He said, I just told you. I told you who I am. I am. That's who I am. I said, who do you think you are? I am. They said, but yeah, but who do you think you are? And he said, I am. And they said, yeah, but who do you think you are? And he said, no, I just told you, I am. And he never changed. He never wavered. And we should be able to hold fast in who the Bible says that we are. And we need to combat all the voices that are out there and silence them. And the only way we're going to silence them is not through thinking harder and trying harder, but just knowing what the Word of God says and resting in that. And so what has the Word of God said? I'm so glad you asked. You did ask that, didn't you? We're going to read 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 5 was written by a man by the name of Paul, writing a letter to a particular church in a particular region for a particular time. But in that, it has so many ramifications for us today. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, one of my all-time favourite passages of Scripture. It says, Therefore, if 
Anyone? Is there anyone out there? Is anyone out there? Do we have anyone out there? Is there anybody out there? If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. This is good news. Right now I'm preaching a lot better than you're responding. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Wow. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We therefore, sorry, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Everyone say ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. If you just read that portion of Scripture over and over and over again for the next year, it would be a feast. It would transform the way you think about yourself, others and the Lord. God can do a lot with a little. And there's so many great truths and so many great riches in this passage. And I want to draw your attention to one word and that's the word ambassador because that's what I want to speak about today. Today I want to look at the fact that we are Christ's ambassadors. Everyone say ambassador which simply means that we are not ordinary. Turn to the person next to you and say, we're not ordinary. Turn to the other person and say, and I'm not normal. My paraphrased version of what Paul has just written and that we've just read is simply this, we ain't normal. We're unusual, we're peculiar, we're strange. We have unusual advantages in life. We're not like everybody else. That's what I read in this. Paul says we've been transformed. Which means the old has gone and the new has come. Which means that we were once separated from God, but now we've been brought near to God. That we don't have to be afraid of God, that we can come confidently into the throne room of grace because of this new creation that's in me. The old is gone, the new has come. I've never seen a butterfly complain about not being a caterpillar, ever. And I speak to a lot of butterflies. I do, it's what I, it's what I do. I'm the butterfly whisperer. <laughs> I know butterflies like I know butterflies. You don't get to preach publicly without understanding a little bit about butterflies. Isn't that right? Touche. But I've never seen a butterfly complaining about being a caterpillar. What butterfly wants to go back to that old way of living? That, that's how we should live. I mean, the good old days for me, they weren't that good. 
We've been transformed, Paul says, into this glorious new image, relationship, foundation, and nature. Oh, let us never take that for granted. Let us never grow tired, nor weary, nor dull of these incredible truths. Told this story many times before, but when I was 19 and someone who was a little bit older than me, they were, they were, the, they were the really old age of 32. They were old in my thinking. And then they said, oh, when you get to our age, 32. I saw 32, I passed 32. I've forgotten about 32, it's like that long ago. But they made themselves sound so old. And when you get to my age, you'll be a little bit more subdued and... And I, 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 at the moment, got the better of me, rightly or wrongly. I, I, I found myself pointing my finger in their face and I said, when I'm your age, I'll never be like you. How can I become less passionate, less excited about the things of God? They were 13 years old. And I thought that means 13 years of, of more revelation, 13 years of more experience, 13 years of more ministry, 13 years of more testimony, 13 years. I thought, man, I'm going to be more excited. I'm now 45. I feel more excited than when I was 32. I feel like I didn't know anything at 32. I probably didn't. But I was leading a church. Amazing. <laughs> Let us never grow tired. Gee, I'm spitting a lot today. Let us never grow weary. Let us never lose the wonder, nor the excitement of gathering together in His name. We've been transformed. We're not caterpillars anymore. We're big, beautiful, bad butterflies. Just put a bad in there, just a masculine. Just, uh, big black butterflies, just tough ones with tattoos on. Not pink ones, but black ones with tattoos on. Butterflies. Not a moth, but a butterfly. We've been transformed, Paul says. We've been empowered. This is what I love about Christianity. We haven't just been saved. I mean, thank God for salvation. Calvary does indeed cover it all. I could sing that song over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, which we will do again. I love that song. I thank God for Calvary that I was lost. Now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I thank God for salvation. But God didn't leave me here just to be saved. He empowered me to live a supernatural, extraordinary, above and beyond life. A life to make other people envious. That's what the word blessed means. You'll be blessed. It sounds so spiritual. It sounds so nice. There's very little Jesus ever said that was nice. Can I just say that? The word blessed means you're going you're to be in people's faces and, and you're going to be shining and your life is going to be a standout and you're going to make people envious. That doesn't mean ignored. That doesn't mean tolerated. People are going to envy your life because you've been empowered. You're going to be able to act differently, speak differently, think differently than other people. 
And as I often say, coming to church is like a massive phone booth where we come and, and get turned and transformed again and again and again. It's just superheroes. It's like a big telephone booth. We just go out with our jocks on the outside of our pants and just capes. And... That's not a pretty sight. I'm sure Steve would look wonderful. But... She'd never sit on the front row. Here's a, just a mental note to self for every one of you. If you're on the second row, I can't see you. My eyesight's that bad. But if you're on the front row, you're fair game. Simple as that. He says we've been transformed, we've been empowered, and we've been entrusted. We've been entrusted with a message of reconciliation that the world might know him through us. So he wants to empower us, not just for us, but that he might be able to live and flow through us. He wants to bless us that he may bless others through us. He's given us a message, a message of peace, a message of hope, a message of reconciliation. The ability to join one party to another party, that, that ability has been given to us. That message has been given to us, the church. It's not a message of judgment. Why is your hair so long? It's not that message. Why are you smoking? It's really easy. If you ever, if you ever ask why you're smoking, it's because I'm addicted. Because <laughs> I like it. It's obvious why they're smoking. We don't need to ask stupid questions. Why are you doing this? I had long hair for many years in ministry. Why do you got long hair? I just like long hair. Long hair liked me. I have amazing long hair. I do. It just goes nice and curly and it's thick, it's wavy, it's awesome. He hasn't given us the ministry. He hasn't given us the ministry of the barber, like going around cutting. It's not our ministry. The ministry of the hairdresser. The ministry of the tattoo police. I'm talking to 50% of our congregation right now. One question I often get asked, it's weird, times have changed. They say, have you got a tattoo? Here's my answer, no. Just anyway. Here's my real answer, not yet. Anyway. I'm going to get one when Tony Bates gets one. All right. Two for one. It's like, Tony, that's a silly place to get one anyway. Matching butterflies. There we go. I can promise you this, the chapel service never went anything like this. That's where the mature believers are. The ones who want the Word of God, they're there. He didn't give us a word of judgment. He didn't give us an argumentative word. Don't always have to be right on everything. He didn't give us a weird word. Lots of weird things been done in the name of Jesus. We did some of them. That's why I know. <laughs> Running around with flags in the name of Jesus. 
We did that. Weird. You know, aren't we being good Christians? God's like, what are you doing? It's not the message I gave you. I didn't say weird people out. Imagine Jesus on the cross. Instead of saying, Father, forgive me, he says, do you want a flag? Like, like, what? We did that. Some weird stuff. Didn't give us a ministry of pushing people over. Wasn't it fantastic to have Andrew Kabbalah here and see, see ministry of that Ilk, what's the word I'm after? <laughs> Calibre, that's the word I'm after. I knew it started with C. Ilk doesn't start with C. Uh, what is it? Calibre. But done naturally. It's awesome. In instead of the old... <laughs> it's, not, it's not the message he gave us. What's the message of to be weird? It wasn't a message of branding nor style. As if being this type of church or that type of church is better in God's eyes. It's a message of reconciliation. That God's not angry with us, He loves us. We have this incredible ability to join one party, God, to another party, a lost and hurting world. So let me introduce the two of you. That's our ministry, that's the message. And as we do that, say, meet Jesus. Nice tattoo, by the way. Hey, meet Jesus. Love your long hair, by the way. Before we go out for a cigarette, let me introduce you to Jesus. That's our message. It's always important where you place the clappers. <laughs> so I love that moggy, goes like the clappers. <laughs> and so, sticking with my notes now. Paul says that we're ambassadors of Christ. And the reason he was able to use that language is because of the time in which he lived. He lived when the Roman Empire was at its strongest. And uh, he, he would look around and, 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 and draw uh, from the culture examples to speak into. And Rome had a lot of ambassadors. People sent from other nations to help keep the peace between two parties, two nations. And Paul draws a parallel between what he saw naturally with what has taken place spiritually. And he says, just like we have ambassadors in Corinth right now, ambassadors sent from another land to this part of the world to bring peace so we have been sent to planet Earth to bring peace 
with us in heaven. We're ambassadors of Christ. And so I want to talk to you about what it is to be an ambassador and draw the parallels between natural ambassadors and our ambassadorship in Christ. Are you ready to quickly go through them? Number one, ambassadors are officially authorised. If I went to Indonesia, for example, and just started sprouting off all my ideas, I doubt that I'd be taken very seriously. But an ambassador, if he went from Australia to Indonesia, he would be taken far more seriously because he would speak as one who'd been given authority. Where does his authority come from? His authority would come from a higher authority. He would stand on behalf of the government of the nation of Australia and speak on its behalf. He would speak as one with a delegated authority. And Paul says that we who are in Christ have the highest authority. Jesus Christ Himself is the highest authority, not only on the earth, but above the earth, beneath the earth and anywhere else. He's the highest authority. And so our authority to be an ambassador is based upon that authority that comes from Christ Himself. So we are not here just doing our own thing, but we are speaking as one who has been authorised by Christ Himself. It's much like if I was to stand in front of a moving car and put my hand out, the chances of that car stopping would be very slim. More than likely, they would totally ignore me and swerve around me. Worst case scenario, they'd go straight over me. But if I was to put on a police uniform and to stand in front of that same car, there'd be a greater authority with which I would have to stand in front of that car. And the strength to stand in front of that car does not come in the gym. It's, it does not come with, a, with a, a good stance. It's not like the policeman stands like this, stop in the name of the law. No, he just stands in the authority that has been given to him by the government of this nation. See, it's not trying harder. We've been led to believe that if we try harder, I'll please God. That's not how you please God. You know, we're coming into the end of this year, which means we're coming into the beginning of a new year. Surprise, surprise. But on January 1, we will make New Year's resolutions and we try and turn over a new leaf. It's not about turning over a new leaf. It's, it's receiving and living in a new life. It's not about trust, uh, trying harder. It's about trusting more. And so the policeman just stands in front and he stands in front of that moving traffic not in, not in his own strength, but in the strength that's been given to him from a higher authority. We have the strength to stand in front of our lecturers at university. We have the strength to stand in front of our teachers at school, our bosses at work, our friends, our peers, our colleagues. With the message of reconciliation, with the authority that's been given to us by Christ himself to speak unashamedly, boldly, lovingly, and gracefully. Ambassadors are officially authorised. Secondly, an ambassador never represents himself, but the one who sent him. Ambassadors are always sent with a message, 
And that message is not to be distorted, changed, or diluted. It would be of no value nor of any help for an ambassador to go and sprouting his own opinions. I've been sent with this message, however, I don't really believe it. I think this. It confuses things. People often ask me what I think. Now, I've got a lot of opinions about a lot of things. But at the end of the day, what I think doesn't really matter. And you know what? What you think doesn't really matter. And what your opinions are doesn't really matter. What we've got to keep coming back to is the message that has been given to us by the higher authority. That's what we've got to keep coming back to. This message of reconciliation. People often want to know what I think about same-sex marriage. And me just bringing it up, some of you are like, yes, I've wanted to know. This is what I know. We live in a messy world. We live in a world that's quite complex and complicated. And, and for me just to answer that question in and of itself is of no value to anybody if it lacks the message of reconciliation. Because Jesus came not for straight people, not for white people, not for black. He just came for everyone. Came for everyone. So, so what, I, what I think about certain things, what I like, what I'm appalled by, doesn't really matter. My, my biggest question over my life and my communication and, and, and the way I conduct myself is how can I minister the love of God? With people that aren't like me, with people that have different likes and different affections, how, how do I minister this message? I think that's a far better question for us to ask of ourselves than what you think of this and what you think of that. My opinion doesn't really matter. We have to align our opinions with the message, with the Word of God. It's funny, when you've been a Christian or a preacher for a long period of time and you start preaching the Word of God, people think, oh, that's right for you, that's your preference. Lots of things I preach, you know, are not my preference. Loving your enemies is not my preference. Punching them in the head is far more my preference. <laughs> Just being honest. And kick him in the groin as well would be right up there. But we're restrained by a message. Because ambassadors don't represent themselves. What made the cross so powerful is that Jesus said, forgive them. It's not just that he endured the pain. He actually said, forgive them. That's what made it so powerful. So next time someone asks you, what do you think about this? Before we just get on our hobby horse, let's just think, what I'm about to say is how helpful is it going to be in light of the message that's been given? Because God has not entrusted to us a political word. He has not entrusted to us a cultural word. He is not entrusted with us a seasonal word. He's entrusted us with the everlasting, all-powerful word of reconciliation. Number three, ambassadors live in a foreign land, but they know it's not their home. In other words, an ambassador 
would not only understand, but would get to know the customs and the culture of the land that he was about to go to. It's one of the first things I do when I get to travel ministry, I, I ask. Even, even in America, a, a nation that speaks the same language, seemingly, I say that because I've been caught out. I mean, when you go to a non-English speaking language, you, you tend to prepare more thoroughly. But the first time I ever went to America, I wasn't as prepared as I should have been because I thought because they speak English, they'll understand me. Apparently, I don't speak good English. <laughs> At least I don't speak American English. And so I'm saying, hey, when I was on my holidays, the pastor shouting at me, he means vacation. And by the time I'd finished, it was like I had an interpreter the whole time. I say nappies, they say diaper. I say dummy, they say pacifier. And it's like, until I said the right word, they're like, oh, I get it now. I'm just, oh, I get it now. And so, so it's, it's advantageous to find out the culture and get immersed in the culture and learn about the culture. And as a result of all those things, maybe even fall in love with the culture. Nothing wrong with that. There's things in this world that I absolutely love. Some of the things I love, you'd probably hate. Some of the things you love, I'd probably hate. But there are things in this world that we love. Some of the love, the, I love the beach. I mean, when I go on holidays, it's a waste for me to go anywhere it's cold. It's just a waste of a holiday for me. Oh, and no, I love the cold. That's fantastic. We'll probably never go on the same holidays. That's all. It's not right or wrong. It's just different. We have different lives. But what we're saying, there's certain aspects of this world we love, and that's great. And God's given them for our enjoyment. But we can't allow this love that we have for the world that we're in to supersede the love of our home. And this world is not our home. We are here, but for a short period of time. And in light of eternity, it's going to be a very, very, very short period of time. Our home is in heaven with God. And we have this incredible opportunity, this incredible luxury, this incredible privilege to be on this planet as his ambassadors for a very short period of time. Can we make the most of it? Let's enjoy it. Let's embrace it. Let's love it. But let us never lose perspective of what our real home is. Number four, ambassadors are supplied and resourced by its own country. In other words, in Australia... An Australian ambassador living in Iraq is not waiting for the Iraqi government to protect him. The protection comes from home base. The Australian ambassador in Ethiopia is not waiting for Ethiopia to resource him when it comes to food. He's resourced by his home country. And you and I as Christians, we are resourced from our home from the one who's able to supply all our needs according to his riches in glory. We will never lack. We will never be short. We will never be found wanting when we live in his will. He will make sure we have all the resource. He'll make sure we have all the finance. He'll make sure we have all that we need for this life and for godliness because our source is not here on earth. Our source is in heaven. That's your time to clap, Moggy. And I'm fast running out of time. Number five, as the band comes up. Number five, ambassadors reside in an embassy. In other words, in every nation that an ambassador is sent to, 
he would live in an embassy. And within that embassy, it would be like a little piece of the homeland. And so an Australian embassy would have Australian accents. An Australian embassy would have Australian foods. Probably get some Vegemite on toast, who knows? It would have an Australian culture. There's no humour like Aussie humour. When I travel the world, our humour freaks people out. When, when foreigners watch Aussies talk to each other, their first thought is, don't you like each other? That's the first thought they have. People that don't understand Aussie humour, look at us. Like we are aliens and strangers in a foreign land. And they say, don't you like each other? I said, no, on the contrary, I love you. If I'm teasing you, I'm loving you. You better understand, if I'm, if I'm teasing you lots, I hold you in high esteem. And so in Australian embassy, there'd be a lot of that. In a German embassy, it'd just be... Anyway. Just drawing lots of technical drawing. Anyway, love the Germans. Love you all. Anyway. Just different. We're different, yeah? And so it is with the church. The church is God's embassy on planet Earth. And just as a natural embassy would take on the culture of its homeland, the language of its homeland, the foods of its homeland, so the church should take on the culture of its homeland, heaven. Heaven should, uh, uh, sorry, the church should be a little bit of heaven on earth. People should be able to walk into the church of Jesus Christ and be met with a different culture. Gee, you guys are friendly. It's weird. We get that all the time. It's kind of like, it's a little bit too friendly. Which says they're not used to that. That's good. That means we're doing our job. Well done, church. That's good. We hear that all the time. Jesus is a friendly place. I think that's a good representation of heaven. I mean, if the lion and the lamb can, you know, enjoy each other's company in heaven, I mean, surely a good glamoochie and a rainbow can get on. We should be friendly. You're a piece of heaven. When somebody does the wrong thing by you and you go and apologize, say, ah, it doesn't matter. Come here, give us a hug. Let's, fit. Let's forgive and forget. Let's move on. Yeah. Oh, wow, don't often get that. Yeah. Yes, a bit of heaven breaking out. Yeah. See, we, we think that if we had more signs and wonders and healing and miracles, we'd see, we'd see more of the glory of God, maybe. And I'm not against that. But I reckon one of the biggest miracles today is a little thing called forgiveness. I think one of the I think forgiveness is far greater a miracle than healing. Because the healing's all God. When you've got cancer and you've tried everything and nothing's working and God heals you, you quickly come to the conclusion that that had very little to do with me. But for a man or a woman, to surrender their will willingly to the Word of God and forgive. That's a miracle. 
And I still believe in miracles. I'm never going to give up believing for that miracle. Just, just forgive. Live at peace. And the moment we do that, Jesus said it this way. When a man is delivered from demonic oppression, a piece of heaven's come to earth. When someone gives their life to Jesus, a piece of heaven's come to earth. When someone can forgive someone of an offence, a piece of heaven's come to earth. When someone can look someone in the eye and say, I love you, in spite of atrocities that has been received by that person, from that person, a little piece of heaven's come to earth. We're ambassadors of Christ. And while I love this world, and while I'm very much in it, and while I plan on being around much longer because I'm eating all the right foods and I'm looking after myself and getting in the gym, I plan on being around for a long time. I'm not of this world. I have a city. I have a builder in heaven. I have a home. And it's not what I see. I live in a certain home on planet earth, but it's ultimately not my home. And I never want to lose sight of the city of God, which is my ultimate home. My last point is simply this, that ambassadors are always called home before war is declared. Now, I'm not here to get into a pre-trib, post-trib, raptured, not raptured debate with you. In actual fact, I like a theology that can prepare for the worst case scenario. I would much rather have a theology that says, I'm not going to be raptured. I'm going to experience all the bad things here on earth. And you know what? If I get raptured and saved from that, that's a bonus. I'd rather prepare myself for the worst case scenario. Just saying. But this I know. When it gets too hot in the kitchen... When the government says enough is enough, we're about to declare war on that nation, they always withdraw their ambassadors. The government's always looking after their own. And how the ambassadors were treated is a reflection on how the government will respond. See, it's not our job to judge. It's not our job to declare war. In actual fact, God's intent in sending an ambassador Highlights his intent was peace, not war. Yeah, that's right. Every ambassador was always sent with the intent of peace, never war. Yeah, an ambassador was never sent to declare war. An ambassador, an ambassador was sent to bring reconciliation and try and bring two kingdoms together. Yeah, that's, that's at the heart of God. He so loved the world that He sent His ambassador, His Son, Jesus Christ. While we were still sinners at war with God, He sent His Son to mediate. The whole symbol of the cross is Jesus joining the hand of God with the hand of sinners. He's the mediator, the one and only mediator. And we have this incredible opportunity to be Christ-like on this earth, to bring peace and hope. That's God's intent.
But while God's intent is love, He loves us enough to make our own decisions. And so when God declares enough is enough, whether He comes to us or we go to Him, whatever your theology is, there is coming a day where God will judge the earth. And that is not our place. The Bible calls it a great and dreadful day. It's both great and dreadful. Depends which side you're on. I don't want to get too heavy or too theological with you. But let me just quote C.S. Lewis, just to bring some perspective to heaven and hell issues. C.S. Lewis simply says this, There are some people that live their lives saying, leave us alone, God, so that we can do our own thing. Hell is simply God saying, you may have your wish. God loves us that much. He's not going to force us. He's not going to make us. He's not going to twist our arm. But while we are here on planet Earth, it very much highlights God's intent and preoccupation is for reconciliation to take place. And if and when God wants to call us home, that's up to Him. But let us not be preoccupied with if and when. Let's be preoccupied with the ministry of reconciliation that we have here on planet Earth. But knowing that there is a place in heaven where there is no weeping, where there is no sickness, where there is no sin, that should give us the confidence and assurance to keep doing what we're doing. And can I say, our worst day, in light of that thought, brings incredible comfort. Incredible comfort. Knowing that there's coming a day where we'll be at home with Jesus, where there's no weeping, no sin, no sickness, no poverty. But until that day, we've got a job to do. And it's not to wait around for the rapture. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 